0: Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Daniel Bennett, the editor of BBC Science Focus magazine. In this episode, I'm joined by Marcus de Sotoy, a professor of mathematics and the Charles Simoni Professor for the Public Understanding of Science at Oxford University. Marcus is also a prolific presenter of brilliant science TV and radio programmes. And if you search for him on BBC Sounds or iPlayer, you're sure to find a show that explores maths in a way you might not have considered before. Today, Marcus joins us on the eve of the publication of his new book, Think Better, The Art of the Shortcut, which explores how thinking like a mathematician can give you an edge in life. In your book, you've you've kind of turned the shortcut into a kind of whole philosophy of life, a a kind of way of thinking. So, So to kick things off, to you, what what are short, shortcuts, and how do they help you think
1: better? Well, I think that a shortcut is trying to get me to my destination um, in the quickest and most efficient way. Essentially, actually, you can look at um, Aristotle's. Uh, division of two sorts of types of work. He talks about uh, praxis work that you love doing just for the sake of doing the work. Um, for example, going for a, a walk in nature. You don't really want to shortcut that because you're kind of enjoying your time in nature. What I'm after is um, kind of shortcuts to what Aristotle calls poesis, which is uh, w- uh, work for trying to get to a destination, a sort of a, an end game. And very often there, you just want to get to the destination so you can begin the thing you want to do. So, um, I'm after shortcuts, which avoid just plodding away, having to do lots of hard work and, um, and and can get you to where you want to be. For example, if you're going on holiday, you don't want to have to walk to your destination on holiday. You want to use a shortcut so you can start doing the things you really want to do.
0: What I really enjoy about the the book is, uh, you set this out at the start that, Part of it comes from laziness, <laughs> um, a desire to sort of not put more effort than than is needed into something, but also that it's actually not just about being lazy, it's about finding simple routes. So, 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 so was that your thinking behind the, writing a whole book on shortcuts to sort of prove that you weren't lazy?
1: <laughs> well, actually, I... Th- the book was partly inspired by my previous book, which was uh, the Creativity Code, which is all about artificial intelligence and human creativity. And I remember talking to a journalist who, by the end of our interview, was so depressed at the thought that, well, gosh, it looks like AI is going to be a- be able to do everything, including uh, matching human creativity. And so he was looking for some sort of glimmer of hope. And I actually settled on this idea that you no, know, a computer doesn't get tired. It it isn't lazy. It doesn't mind doing lots of boring, hard work, but actually our human laziness, our desire to avoid uh, doing hard work, sometimes is the inspiration for us coming up with really clever ways at looking at problems where a computer might not go down that route. So uh, the book is really kind of like a celebration of just uh, one of, I think, our wonderful human traits is, that we are lazy, but that actually ends up with us coming up with all these incredibly clever ways of of thinking. So often actually you have to do quite a lot of hard work to come up with the shortcuts. Um but once it's there, um it, it's ready for the rest of humanity to to take advantage of. So in a way, kind of um uh, this book is your shortcut to all the shortcuts that it's taken us a long time to come up with. I like that idea. A shortcut to all the shortcuts. And you, you make this point really well that Uh, actually the shortcut
0: is something innate within us. Um, Our our own brain
1: uh, is making shortcuts all the time. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that there's a neuroscientist I talked to in the book um, who was actually hoping to become a a grandmaster at chess and was very frustrated that even putting in the 10,000 hours and talking to all the experts, he just couldn't... Achieve anything other than I think expert or something, um, and so he turned to neuroscience to see is there something about the way his brain is working that is stopping him becoming a, a grandmaster at chess? And, and what he discovered is a kind of signature uh, kind of behaviour of, of a a brain which is kind of in flow, working at its best, and and often it's kind of doing less work. He he actually took. M- my brain and and uh, we kind of scanned it as I was playing chess. And he said, look, I can see that you're almost using too much of your brain because you're overthinking things and it, it's kind of getting in the way. And he saw that the signature of grandmasters are that they they sort of shortcut activity in the brain. And I suppose that's kind of like intuition and flow. So it seems that our brain, when it's working best, is is kind of getting the neurons going from one place to another in in the most efficient way. And essentially I talk about network shortcuts in the book. And one of the things we've discovered that, uh, if you want to get from one place to the network as, uh, to another very quickly, there is a kind of way to do that, which is to, you have lots of local connections in your network. Um, and then a few global ones, which connect Sort of one side of the network to the other. And, and that actually means that you get these networks which have something that people may have heard of, kind of six degrees of separation that you can get from one point in the network to the other with just kind of six moves. And that seems to describe our kind of social network, where we know a lot of people in our local environment, we know a few people across the world, and that seems to create a network where you can get from one place to another incredibly efficiently. But knowing that's quite useful because if you're creating a network and you want that kind of property, then we know these, what they're called small world networks. What you need to do is just add a few global connections and, and you'll be able to make a network which has this fast way to get through it. We even believe the human brain is actually constructed like that. A lot of local neuronal connections and a few global connections means we can very efficiently get from one neuron to the other by say six synapses of separation. You,
0: it's funny because uh so psych- psychology is my sort of, I suppose, pet subject uh, on the magazine. And um, you know, just, just describing that, it also makes me think of something I'm also quite interested in right now, which is a, a little game that I suggest you play as a, a mathematician called Mini Motorways. I don't know if you've ever heard of it
1: no uh, i'm intrigued
0: you, <laughs> you have the job of a city planner uh trying to connect little homes to their workplaces as um as they pop up around uh, a little grid and you do just that to win the game you create little clusters little branch-like structures of local networks and then you you try and join up key key points with longer uh you know highways to sort of join up the furthest points
1: of the map very interesting so that there's your your shortcut to to playing that game efficiently <laughs> well exactly and that brings me really nicely so, so you
0: you talk talked there about uh sort of shortcuts uh, that help us understand networks of things uh, and a city is, you know can be simplified into just a, a network um and I, I, and in the book I came across this fascinating idea that uh it was to do fifteen percent is is the sort of bonus you get from a from a city and I was just hoping you could explain that that idea to our listeners.
1: Yes, because uh, this is a wonderful shortcut, actually, if you want to get an extra 15% on your salary uh, by doing nothing but the same work that you're doing already. Because it transpires that, uh, I mean, one of the shortcuts I talk about in the book is the power of looking for patterns, because if you can spot a pattern in uh, your data, then that enables you to shortcut looking into the future and and sort of manipulating that data. So one thing that was discovered is if you look at data associated with cities, um, for example, the number of restaurants in the city, or the number of libraries, or the amount of creativity uh, of people in that city, then if you double the population, um, very often you think you should just double whatever you know number of restaurants or double the uh, creative output, but it seems like there's this pattern that's emerged where you get a kind of extra fifteen percent on top of that. So, for example, if you look at the number of patents filed in a city of 1 million residents, then when you move to a city of 2 million residents, uh, you don't double the number of patents. You actually get another uh, 15% more, which is um, kind of curious. And it seems to be a quality of, of the network of a city that m- means that somehow by doubling, you're, you're getting this kind of extra connectivity, which is creating this, this kind of bonus 15%. And in particular, it's transpires that um, if you uh, live in a city of 1 million people and you compare yourself to somebody doing the same job as you in the city with 2 million residents, they're earning 15% more than you are. So um, this could well be your shortcut to um, getting a little bit more for doing the same amount of work. I think the other other part that I found really interesting about that is, uh,
0: that, and you make this point, is that it's a kind of, looking at it in this, I suppose, abstracted way it solves to remove the distraction of comparing London and Tokyo based on their cultural geography or
1: yes I think this is one of the very powerful shortcuts um, that mathematics offers that the power of abstraction and throwing away uh, extraneous information which turns out not to be important and so it was a surprise that the actual uh Um, way the city is constructed, whether it's, you know, on a small bit of area and very tall like Manhattan or sprawling like LA, that it doesn't seem to make a difference. Uh, And it's really just the number of uh, inhabitants of that city, not the actual kind of geography of it. So I think time and again, in mathematics, you see that one of the powerful shortcuts is being able to know what isn't important and throwing that away and uh, sort of abstracting what is important. And very often uh, another shortcut that emerges is that therefore this model that you have, um, it might uh, be describing a city or it might be describing, for example, uh, the physiology of different animal bodies. And you can actually apply the same theory um, to sort of show how the different animals behave differently according to their increase in size and weight and things like this. So that's often the power of mathematics as a shortcut is to to abstract things and then you actually have um, a shortcut that can be applied in in many varying different situations. Yes, yeah, so, so that kind of idea that you can
0: use these uh, shortcuts uh, when you take them in abstraction and apply them to other problems, it, it that fits really nicely with how you look at startups in the book. And I think for many of us, we kind of, if, you know, if I'm being honest, I look at sometimes look at startup culture where they have loads of uh, pool table, ping pong tables. That's the current one, isn't it? And cereal bars. And I, I jealously, jealously uh, scoff uh, at them. But actually, there is a kind of uh, method to their thinking beyond, you know, we want to look
1: friendly and nice. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's about encouraging. An atmosphere of play, uh, because play allows you to to do experimentation, and often something kind of new can appear out of that. And it's kind of related to that idea that um, you know we're sort of celebrating laziness. That actually, um, uh, during lazy periods when you don't seem to be doing anything, actually your mind is working on its subconscious. And I think your subconscious often is able to kind of try lots of different possibilities until it latches onto one that seems to really be new and works. And then that's when you get the aha moment and it kind of flashes up into your conscious world. So I think sort of encouraging downtime play is really important. And I mean, actually sometimes I I think that, you know, mathematics, I spend a lot of time at my desk sort of thinking on a hard problem, but actually the breakthroughs very often come when um, I'm not looking at the problem and I'm running by the river near where I live uh, and, you know, suddenly... Uh, something appears. So I think startups uh, have gotten on to that. And I think maths departments as well. We have a lot of games in uh, common rooms. We have a lot of areas where you can just doodle or, or on boards. And I think that helps to encourage these kind of uh, flashes. Whilst well, so if you just occupy yourself with just laborious work then that just, just doesn't give your minds the opportunity to to wander and come up with something innovative and new so in a way this suite of shortcuts that I put together in the book is really trying to help you a- avoid the kind of laborious slog that can often just you know shut down innovation and allow you to sort of uh, be fleet of foot and and find kind of cunning ways to 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 get something new coming up and so so one one thing i
0: Definitely regret is that I didn't do more maths at school and university, um, which I bet you probably hear a lot.
1: Well, sometimes people say I I I was quite happy to give it up, but uh, (laughs) but I I think yeah, my my books really celebrate. I mean, celebrates mathematics as the art of the shortcut, and what I want to try and uh, show people is that you know there's there's so much more to mathematics than kind of the boring long division and sines and cosines, that it's actually something really exciting. And I think I was very lucky with my teacher at my comprehensive school that he kind of opened up this world for me and made me realise very early on how beautiful, creative, but also just how extremely powerful it can be in in solving uh, problems that we're faced with.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's always a great teacher, isn't there? Somewhere lurking behind every um, sort of uh does seem to be yeah exactly there's always this school teacher um so i blame mine for not uh getting rid of it. But, but there is <laughs> so so I, I regret not doing more and so one of the concepts i i regret not really fully understanding it in my in my time in college was calculus yes so within mathematics it's an exceptionally powerful tool and i just wondered if you could try and you know, get across to our listeners how valuable and important it is. Uh, and, and I, I suppose trying to explain it in, in as, as as lay terms as you
1: can. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this probably is the most extraordinary shortcut that we've come up with over the last 2000 years of doing mathematics. And actually um, it's trying to match nature's ability to find shortcuts because nature is uh, there's a kind of old adage in science that nature is really very lazy at heart so it it, it like like human uh, species and that it tries to find the most efficient fast solution, low energy solution to something. So, you know, a ball falls down into the valley because it's trying to find a low energy solution. Bubble, for example, f- creates a spherical shape because that's the shape with the lowest energy on the the, the surface. And uh, light as well. Light finds the shortest path from uh, one part of space to the other. And that's what we saw when we saw light bending uh, in the geometry of space post-Einstein. But we see that even with a more mundane example of of lights going through water and air. So when we're in a swimming pool, we see ourselves kind of shortened. Um, But how does light know how to find that fast path so it gets through the the medium where it's slowest more quickly and then goes into the medium where it's faster but there's a kind of sweet spot where you know it doesn't want to spend too long in the fast area either so it seems to use quantum physics where it tries all possibilities and then collapses into the place where the, the fastest route but actually we as mathematicians we will look at analyze all of those paths and calculate the um time it takes to get from one place to another actually an interesting kind of uh, example would be you know you've got a lifeguard who's got to uh, run across sand which is quite slow well i don't know maybe you're faster on sand let's say you're faster on sand than you're swimming where it's a bit slower so where's the optimal point to to dive into the water and so you'll set up an equation which will given uh, uh, a random point along the the, the shoreline to, to enter. How long would it take me to get to the drowning person? But then calculus is able to tell you. Well, the optimal place where it will minimize the amount of time to get to the the person uh, drowning. Um, this is an incredible tool which will will give you that point. So it's sort of our tool to explain how how nature finds all of these shortcuts, kind of more more naturally. So it was Newton and Leibniz's. Great insight that you know a world in flux where everything is changing it's very hard to to navigate. You drop an apple from that apple tree in in Walthall Manor where Newton came up with all of these ideas actually during a pandemic. That you know to say what the speed of that apple is um, is changing all the time, but calculus is able to sort of make sense of an instantaneous moment and what its velocity is. And it's hard actually; it's making sense of a kind of curious mathematical. Challenge of uh, if I divide by zero, what what should the answer be? And uh, so calculus kind of makes sense of you know taking a time interval which gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you want a snapshot of what's going on. And so you know distance divided by time that's speed. But what if the time is zero? I want to know exactly at that point. So calculus is kind of amazing tool to to tell you that but it it's used you know by every engineer to to kind of find or somebody in commerce as well if you're trying to find the sweet spot to price um your goods to maximize profits then you know in an equation in economics you will want to use the calculus to to find that sweet spot to to maximize your profits for example so what you're saying is
0: i, I instinctively uh, understand calculus uh, because oh well, that's very
1: interesting. It. You say that absolutely. In in some sense, uh, nature and uh, including animals and including humans, we sort of by kind of, I suppose, almost like trial and error and evolution, we have developed an ability to sort of roughly know the kind of often these optimal solutions. But we're the point is we're now in a much more complex world where the, our intuition often fails us. And I suppose in a way, this book, it's called Thinking Better, it's almost meant to be a companion book to Kahneman's book, Thinking uh, Fast and Slow. Because Thinking fast is a, our kind of intuition, what our feel for things. Very quick. It's very often based on heuristics, um, but often it's very faulty, as Kahneman illustrates. You got to think slow uh, and kind of analytically bring your mind to 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 see sometimes the counterintuitive things, uh, ways things happen. And I suppose my book is yeah. You, you can think uh, analytically, but you don't have to be slow. These shortcuts find you, um, like calculus, get you to the solutions quickly, but uh, securely, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean,
0: I suppose it's important to say that you're not sort of advocating that every problem or everything that you want to achieve has a shortcut that will get you to the the right answer. It's 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 essentially about you know, finding uh, heuristics or a or, 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 or set, set of rules that help you approach a very, you know, the the world and a lot of the problems that we face are, are, are very complicated problems now with lots of moving
1: parts. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, what you need to, to to know is you know have this suite of shortcuts at your fingertips because sometimes it'll be calculus that will get you your shortcut but uh, you know not everyone knows calculus uh, maybe that means your shortcut is going and talking to a mathematician uh, to help you with the shortcut but but sometimes um, it might be the power of a very good diagram which throws away. Extraneous information that is just clouding your view of the problem, and then with a diagram, suddenly you can see very clearly what we go- what's going on. So one of the shortcuts I talk about is is the power of throwing away um, information that is clouding things, and you know, getting that diagram which just crystallizes and helps you to uh, solve the problem. And I think you know, for example, if you go into any particle physicist's office, their blackboard is covered in those Feynman diagrams, which describe particle interactions but those feynman diagrams which is actually feynman's way of trying to navigate hugely complex mathematical calculations that he was just having a real difficulty with these these path integrals that describe sort of what possible things might happen with these interactions of the particles and he just needed some clever way to see the problem and and now it's become an incredibly powerful tool to to explain the complex mathematics that is hiding behind there, um, so using a good diagram is very often a clever way. And then you mentioned actually psychology that you're interested in psychology. And one of the pit stops I make is to talk to therapists. Uh, and it's interesting that sometimes you're you're trying to change. The way the brain works, and that often doesn't have a shortcut because it takes years of therapy sometimes to to, to really tra- change brain structure, so you don't sort of fall down the same kind of the uh, kind of patterns of thought. Uh, as Susie Orbach described it, it's like trying to unlearn a language. If you think about, you know, you speak English, but um, imagine trying to unlearn English is going to take you sort of a, a long time. However, you know, there are therapists who use amazing shortcuts, including kind of uh, diagrams during therapy. And uh, CBT has really been celebrated as a, a very powerful way in eight weeks, for example, uh, of really helping to change behavior in certain particular problems that, yeah, you you can actually help people to see the the faulty algorithm that's at work in your thought process and to be able to, to intervene before you start going into depression. So there's a couple of things I wanted to pick up on that one one I think
0: perhaps you need another chapter the first chapter would be uh, befriend a mathematician um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then also I just I still wanted to pick up actually on the idea of, about diagrams and and um that that's you know that is one of the the stops in your books and you know I I, I think I think it's it's quite interesting because I, I suppose we all know someone who explains something with a diagram. Uh, you know, they if you if you need something conveyed, they'll always get out a pencil and a piece of paper and sit on their desk and start scribbling. Um, and I and I and I suppose I didn't really consider the power of that until I was actually looking at it. Was was it Kate Raworth? Raworth, yes, her 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 work and actually her work kind of using a diagram to reinterpret. How we should be thinking about economic growth, and that really struck me as a really powerful demonstration. I wonder if you could just sort of tell the listener about that.
1: Yes, uh, I mean uh, during the kind of pit stop, which are these moments um, between the shortcuts that I present throughout the book, and I talk to people from other professions. I, I was really keen to go and talk to Kate Raworth because she has this wonderful new diagram, which is part of her idea of something called Donut Economics. And actually her diagram is sort of a counter to the, sometimes diagrams can almost lead you astray as well. So they're they're very powerful kind of tools and you need to use them very carefully. So she realized that any talk on, Economics always seem to use the same sort of diagrams. You'd have exponential growth. Um, That's what you're after in in sort of profits, or or the supply and demand diagram. This little X that you see, where you're trying again, you use calculus to find the sweet spot. Uh, And and she said, "Well, this is just." Actually, economics sort of promoting a very sort of capitalist uh, view of the world, and actually, we need to put in uh, some other considerations about uh, the climate, about humans having a, a basic uh, level of living, uh, the, the sort of kind of more human side of uh, and ecological side of economics. And, and so, she started introducing new diagrams. So, this this diagram of a donut, or what I called mathematically a torus one of my favorite shapes in mathematics um it is basically well, I mean, her picture is two circles and the inner circle represents kind of if you fall inside the inner circle, then it means that the human species is kind of, you know, either poverty hitting or not enough water. It's about the kind of uh, more personal protection of uh, people, whilst the outer circle represents um, our planet and going outside there is a threat to the planet, the sort of a more global view of economic Kind of considerations, and so she's trying to say, yeah, we might work in a capitalist model, but we need to be in this safe zone in the kind of in the the middle part. And so she's using this diagram to always question economic decisions to see, well, does that mean that you're actually um, outside the 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 outer circle and therefore a threat to the the planet, or inside the inner circle and, and therefore people. Uh, individually are, are suffering because of your economic decisions. So, so it, it it was a powerful illustration how a diagram can really help to change people's perspectives on, on kind of views of the world. Yeah, absolutely. It was it's, I studied economics a little bit, and it, it Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful uh, book. I really Kate Raworth's book "Doughnut Economics" is was one of my uh, favorite books. I, I think of the last few years yeah
0: i'll definitely check it out so there's um plenty of shortcuts we could talk about but one one particular area that you look at is um finding shortcuts in patterns and there you talk about music which is another thing i'm fascinated by is is kind of music and art one area where you struggle to find shortcuts that could could help you uh, get better
1: at cello. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm learning the cello at the moment. And I, I was really hoping to talk to, uh, an international cellist and find there were shortcuts to being able to play the Bach suites. Um, I talked to Natalie Klein, who's a wonderful cellist and, uh, she, she was very interesting because on the one side, she said, look, look, it's very difficult to uh, avoid those 10,000 hours, um, that Gladwell talks about in order to become an expert because y- you are sort of changing your body. You're, you're having to get your fingers moving. Uh, so, you know, it's always that motor memory to be able to play a sequence of notes very quickly. That just requires hours and hours uh, of practice. So on the one side, you kind of hinted that, no, you're not going to be able to get away with this because a bit like um, in the when I was talking about psychology, that you've got to change brain structure, you're changing body structure. And so I think becoming uh, a performer um, of a musical instrument, or for example, in sport as well, uh, it's very hard to shortcut even if you were using drugs to become a hundred meter sprinter at such the top level. However, she did have shortcuts. And I think that connects kind of Connected to why music and mathematics seem to be so intimately related. Because, in a way, music is the art of patterns, whilst mathematics, I often call the science of patterns. And so, um, those sequences of notes quite often have a sort of rationale to them. And often you'll see a sequence of notes kind of repeated throughout a piece of music, maybe altering in pitch. So, often if you spot those patterns, it can help you to. To shortcut sort of uh, learning a piece of music or, or, or playing it, for example, at, at sight. So, one of the reasons that you spend so long doing your scales and arpeggios uh, when you're learning an instrument is these will be amazing shortcuts when you then come to play a piece, because very often there'll be a, a kind of run of notes, which is basically um, a, a little scale. And so it sort of enables you to to read the music almost like reading a book where what you don't want to do is to read every letter individually. You start to see words and that speeds up your reading. And so spotting those patterns actually helps you to speed up reading the music and being able to 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 kind of play it much more efficiently.
0: Yeah, you build up a feel of where the, the music is going. And so that, um, I suppose, it put, in, a, in a way, it puts blinders on because you know where your finger's probably going to be
1: yeah so you can concentrate on, on other things and and actually even bigger structure so uh she natalie talked to me about uh kind of schenkenian analysis which kind of uh, uses something called an ersatz kind of the structure of, of the piece and, and that often is very mathematical i mean just simply you know a bit uh often the sonata form is aba so you'll see the the thing you've played at the beginning kind of repeated maybe with some or, or theme and variations, as well as kind of has kind of often mathematical structure. And if you actually can see this and spot it, it can really help you to to navigate a piece of music more intelligently, and kind of uh, allows your brain to to concentrate on other things like the actual kind of quality of the performance.
0: I just wondered. So, so the book is is a great it's a great history of maths, and it's really good at kind of. Showing the different ways we uh, mathematicians use shortcuts, and it just did leave me wondering whether you have kind of used these in your day-to-day life, if if there are tough decisions that you make, or uh, I just, yeah, I just wondered how how it's influenced you when you're choosing a queue at the supermarket or (laughs) um, uh, those kinds of decisions.
1: Yes, I I guess it it does inform them. I mean, for example, I have a very bad memory, uh, and so. I often use kind of idea of patterns uh, as a way of helping me to, to memorize something. If I could see a pattern, it's almost like a little algorithm, which w- helps me to, to kind of resurrect the thing I I'm trying to, to memorize. So I, I find that very helpful. Also just things like, you know, I, I discovered that if you're in a Tunnel with lots of people, and you're trying to get to the exit as quickly as possible. You know, where's the best place? Is it in the middle, or is it on the edge? And you might think, if well, this is like a fluid, so maybe the middle is best because the edge is kind of producing a friction. But if you mathematically analyze it, um, it turns out the shortcut is actually going hugging yourself to the wall because that turns out to be um, a much faster part of that flow. So often. That's the power of these mathematical shortcuts because it's it's often counterintuitive. And so uh, it gives you a kind of edge um, in in that crowd to be able to to get to the exit first.
0: That was Marcus de Soto there talking about how a bit of maths can help you solve problems big and small. If you'd like to hear Marcus and I dig a little deeper and discuss the creativity of maths and debate whether maths is an art, check out instant genius extra a bonus podcast available via subscription on apple's podcast app and of course if you want to learn more about the art of the shortcut check out marcus's book thinking better which is on sale now and published by fourth estate books thank you for listening The Instant Genius podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine, which you can find on sale in supermarkets and newsagents, as well as your preferred app store. Alternatively, do come find us online at sciencefocus.com. See you next time.